0: Hello and welcome to Eurovision in Isolation, the only podcast where you can hear five straight guys talk about Eurovision all night. We're in 2017, and once again I am joined by four massive moguls of music. That is Simon Reckonback. Hi. Alex Smith. Hello there, Phil. Minnie Meyer. Hi, Phil. And Dan Irvin. Hello again, Phil. So, 2017... What a rubbish year to talk about, at least in the world. We had Brexit ongoing, Trump being sworn in, death aplenty. But Eurovision is a lovely escape and we are in the lovely Eastern European nation of Ukraine and in their capital city of Kiev, correct pronunciation, as I learned this year. And uh, we are in the International Exhibition Centre, and we are hosted by Oleksandr Shiko, Vladimir Ostapuk, and Timo Miroshinchenko And once again, I have picked out five excellent Eurovision songs from that year, or at least five songs from that year for us to remind ourselves of and, and talk about as key and interesting discussion points. So first up tonight, we are going to Diharj of Azerbaijan, with her 2017 banger of skeleton. so that was dehage those were her skeletons
1: dan tell me what you think this is uh this is an interesting act uh, i think it's more interestingly uh, visual than it is necessarily from a, a, an audio perspective the scene opens here with dehage looking like she's about to throw up but thankfully for us she does start singing and as it pan the camera pans back we see that she's She's sat in front of this, uh, she's in a room full of blackboards. And on the blackboards are various words, and it's all very confusing at the start. As the song goes on, you find out that the various words are different, uh, are lyrics, basically, through the songs. They come on. Now, I don't remember her singing, Remember to Pick Up the Milk, but uh, the rest of the stuff is, is all there. So and the scene takes a terrifying turn as the camera pans back even further, and you see that there is a man on a stepladder with a horse's head over, over his head. Now, I, I've watched this several times now, and I've got no idea what the, the, the metaphor is, what, what this horse's head t- on a stepladder is supposed to signify. But it's quite terrifying, because he, for most of the song, he just sits there, and he stares at you, and he judges you. Dan, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've, this, this song
0: has repeated in my dreams for the past three years, and I still am none the wiser as to why the man with the horse's head is standing on a stepladder. I think it's just there to be provocative.
2: I really like this song. I think um, it represents the future of Eurovision because it, it represents an evolution, if you like. Eurovision was it was just a song contest and then it became sort of more of an entertainment contest. And this is, is like more than that. Again, it's become art, really. It's aspiring to be a higher culture. It's got a, a deeper meaning and it sort of dares you to speculate what it is. And I think that's what she means at the end when she says we can change the future. Yeah, I, I really like it. I think it's a, another absolute banger from Azerbaijan. Performed really well as well, and I think it's kind of picking up on a, a sort of Lady Gaga style that I think was coming
3: through around this kind of era. I think I, you're right, and I think there is a risk that Eurovision entries get a bit too lost in trying to be a bit too arty and be a bit too controversial. I think yes, the the sort of reverse centaur man at the top of the ladder is there to centaur, create. I love it, that. He's a revert, the reverse centaur. You know, he is there to be controversial and to be there to be a discussion point. But then, don't then also rule out the fact that she's joined by a few others on the stage later in the song. Yeah. I assume the rest of the band, and she sort of draws on them in chalk. Uh, and, and again, it's it's kind of unclear as to as to why that is. You know, she, I know she's sort of sort of ticking them off, and I don't know. Maybe they're maybe they're her enemies, and she sort of she draws crosses on them, so she's rubbing them out of her history or whatever, or out of her past. But I think there there is a risk where it can become a little bit too artistic. And I think this has got a little bit too much going on that's unexplained, which is a shame because I really like the song. And I think there is a genuine fragility amongst quite an intense song. So it's quite juxtaposed uh, in that in that sense. And it reminds me quite a lot of uh, like a Lana Del Rey song, you know, quite an intense, powerful ballad, but with this sort of underlying fragility. So I, I quite liked it, but it was ruined by the choreography. Musically, I think it was very
0: much on point for 2017. I think this is almost as up to date as Eurovision has ever sounded. This was the sort of music that was sort of in the charts at that time. Like Adele's Hello meets
4: Evanescence. I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. Weird mix. What I found very chilling about it was that at one point it looks like she writes horny on the board behind her, which just reminded me of. This won't mean anything to not you and me. But we had a teacher who once accidentally wrote cock on the whiteboard. So it gave me vivid flashbacks.
2: I do do think that's right. She definitely writes on the board in chalk and she writes what seems to be the word horny. uh, And then the next thing she does is then gropes the bloke with the horse's head. Um, So, yeah, I found that bit weird.
0: Maybe she wrote horsey. I think she might write thorns. Yes, I, I, I think it is thorns, just to clarify. The The whole surround is like filled with words. It gives me these sort of the shining vibes where they've got all those words written on the blackboard all around it. But really minor point. But it annoys me that they've left such a massive space for her to write thorns in. So small. It's a
3: really minor point. But things like that really annoy me on your image. Little mistakes like that is, I think, kind of what costs this song. I, I felt like throughout the song, she, she didn't quite find Top Gear. I think a theme of this year's show actually as a whole
0: is little mistakes that ruin songs. And I think we'll come back to that. I don't think from my five songs this week, we've got any absolute shockers. There's no dust in the turkeys there. So you are going to have to be mean and give your nil
1: pois something. I'm going to be mean, Phil. This gets my nil pois. Now, it has to be put into context because yep. last week, this would probably have come third, maybe second for me. <laughs> So this it does have to have context. But the concept is confusing. I, I still don't really understand what it, what it is. I don't particularly like her singing. I think it's you know pretty boring. She sounds kind of bored by her own voice, to be honest. It's not memorable, um, apart from the horse, who, we, again, we don't understand what that's about. So it is a regrettable nil point for me. Uh, that's fair. very well reasoned, Dan. I'm sure the nation of Azerbaijan will not
0: hold it against you. So... I've I've picked a, a strange spread of songs for 2017. Their placings in the show were 6th, 8th, 14th, 15th, and a non-qualifier that finished 15th in their semi-final. So where do we think it came?
2: Mid-table, I think.
0: I think 14th. So we think it's middle of the pack. Only Dan gave it as Nilpwa. Time to swiftly sweep that all up and move back to a country that is proving very popular in eurovision in isolation we are back to the former yugoslav republic of macedonia or the former former yugoslav republic of macedonia now known as north macedonia and we have jana Buseska with her song dance alone So that was Yana. And let's go to Simon. Simon, what are your thoughts?
2: I mean, it's quite a catchy dance number, isn't it? They've put this echoing reverb on her voice, and it sort of all makes it sound a bit like Can't Get You Out of My Head era Kylie Minogue, I think. Which I, I'll be honest, I didn't know was allowed to have that level of, of voice distortion. The staging, though, I think is a bit of a letdown. It's, it's sort of, I guess it's supposed to be a metaphor for the song. She's on the stage on her own. Dancing alone, strutting around in her thigh highs, pointing at stuff. But, you yeah, I think visually it's just not that interesting. And she's not a sufficient. she's got, like, I compared her to Kylie, but she's not got that stage presence to sort of carry the song on her own, really.
0: I, I completely know where you're coming from. You can't call a song dance alone and then have very epic staging with all six people standing around there doing some sort of dancing you do ultimately have to leave her dancing alone on the stage. So from a staging perspective, it really does let it down. Yeah, it's a neat
4: concept, but yeah, like Simon says, she I mean, she does well, I think, but she just, you need someone to be really out there if they're going to carry the whole thing by
0: themselves. She does go a bit bonkers in places. There's moments towards the end where they've whipped out the fan, or, sorry, the wind machine, and she is there sort of rocking out on her own with the wind in her hair but it, it it does feel more like she is in a club rocking out on her own than she's a superstar performer giving you a hell of a performance doesn't it
3: there's definite vibes of you know the kind of the club's played its last song and flashed its lights a few times but she's the one last drunk girl who refuses to stop dancing in the middle on her own the one that's just been broken up with and doesn't want to go back home. Yeah, there's the yeah, other night's no, not over yet. What are you doing?
4: <laughs> if it was 2008, that would have been the gag. It would have been a woman with mascara down her face.
3: Well, I was going to say that. You know, this podcast started in 2008. We then went back to the year 2000. And I think coming forward so, so far to 2017, it goes to show how far the competition has come because I think this song would have done very well in the two previous editions of the podcast, Absolutely. I think in 2017, having a performer on their own with, frankly, again a quite middling song, uh, with no intri- artistic intrigue, or you know bonkersness as with the horse's head with the last song, uh, and with other bonkersness we're going to talk about later in the podcast, it's just not enough. You know, you need you need a really powerful and big performance with lots going on she cuts quite a lonely figure actually
2: I think at times in this and I think it's interesting that the the songs that I think do a bit better actually they limit the staging a bit like like Azerbaijan did by having this sort of box on the stage.
0: I think you're right Simon there's certainly something to be said some performers definitely benefit from a an enclosed intimate performing situation others need the bigger bigger stage the arena feel However, I am going to just flashback ever so slightly and contradict Alex, because you say that in 2017, you need more. You can't come with just her on the stage and nothing sensible. Of course, this year was won by Salvador Sobral, standing on his own, not dancing, singing a song with no dancers or no backing singers. I
2: also think the winner this year's kind of starts or is part of a trend uh, in Eurovision of winners needing a story to win as well as just being good acts in their own. And you know that story being discussed and stuff. It's kind of like, do you remember the? Was it the first series of Pop Idol when it was Andy the Bin Man was, who I think actually performed at Eurovision at one stage. He sort of went quite far in the competition with this sort of sob story, and it's become a popular thing on reality shows ever since. I'm- you worry
0: that you see that creeping into you? I absolutely adore how much you got all of the facts wrong. Yeah. Yes, and yes, Andy <laughs> Abraham did represent the UK in uh, Eurovision 2007, but he was on the second series of The X Factor, not the first series of Pop Idol. The sob story from the first series of Pop Idol was Gareth
3: Gates's stutter. I don't want to contradict the contradiction, but I think, I think Andy Abraham was Eurovision 2008. I think you're right. I don't but want to it, contradict Alex. I don't, I
0: don't. <laughs> The story, in fact, for Jana, maybe superseded the song because during the interval in the semi-final, Jana's boyfriend proposed to her in front of the TV cameras, and I actually think that detracted a little bit. People forgot the song; she was just the the singer that got proposed to. So, I'm going to go to Nils Pois. That silence is lovely. Very middle of the road. No one loves it. No one hates it. I'll put my cards on the table here. Yes, the the staging's uh, poor. They needed to do better with that. But the studio version, a bit like Simon with uh, Day After Day. I love the studio version of this song. I I could listen to this all day long. Predictions. Where do we think this came?
3: Unfortunately, my knowledge of Eurovision is sufficient to know that this didn't qualify. Because one of them's my all-time favourite song. And the other two are in the big five. Yeah, Macedonia didn't qualify. Came 15th in the
0: semi-final, which I have to say, I think is a really harsh placing. So we'll move on to song three for tonight. This is Francesco Gabani from Italy with his song Occidentali's Karma. So that was Occidentalis Karma. I think I'm right in saying it's the only pop song in history that has been inspired by The Naked Ape by Desmond Morris. This was the gigantic, massive favourite heading into Eurovision 2017. It was the biggest favourite since Euphoria in 2012. Everyone thought it was going to win. No one could see anything else doing well. And we already know that it didn't win because the fact that we're covering it. So we're here to dissect precisely what happened. Alex, what do you think?
3: Yeah, this is uh, probably the most bonkers song, certainly on the list we're looking at today. Probably one of the most bonkers from the year itself as well. When the song started, I mean, this was this was only a few years ago. So I, I do kind of vaguely remember the Italian entrance. And my immediate thought was oh my god is this the one with the ape and the answer is yes there he is dancing in the background it's mad it's a it's a really good song i just i don't think the singer is right for the song that's my only criticism i think it's a really enjoyable song it's fun it's got it's got that party vibe to it really positive song i think the singer's just a little bit too gravelly for a song like this i think he's he's got that kind of Tom Waits, got a little bit of that. Smoked a few too many Marlboros in Italy, or you know. I think that detracts from the final score. I think, had had we had just a slightly cleaner voice singer, it would have been nearly perfect. I disagree with Alex. I think
2: he's perfect for the song, and you can see that in the in the national final, where there's he gives this absolutely brilliant performance that sort of completely stops the show. And then it just doesn't carry through to the the grand final. There's something different about it, and I think for me, the I was trying to put my finger on it. Is it, you know, is it that there's no orchestra in this one? Is it the pressure of being the favourite? Is it the big stage? Is it that the backing singers aren't aren't that good? And I think it's just that he's not having as much fun with it as he is in the national final. He's this like really sort of cheeky, energetic chappy. and in the national final, he's that all comes through. The personality comes through in the song. And in the final, I just I just don't find it there. It's almost there's this bit in Peep Show where Jez starts working in, the, in a recording studio and they've got the Chemical Brothers in and he's critiquing their stuff. And he says it's a bit like, no, 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 no. We're doing the fucking song. And it does, it does to me, it does feel like that. It feels like he's he's not enjoying doing it.
1: I think Simon's exactly right. Uh, Phil, you shared with us the, the national entry for I this did, song. And did. when I watched the playlist, this, the national entry is what came up first. So I saw yeah. the national entry. I noticed the stage was different, but this guy's rocking the stage. He's having a great time. And the audience is clearly loving it. And then up comes the next song, and it's and it's him at the final. And straight away, you, you can see the difference. It's, mm. He is nowhere near as confident. He's not having as much fun. The big stage is just so much more daunting than that small arena it's uh, it's oil and water really the two the two next to each other
0: that is why i shared both i think it's a very interesting case study if we want to get academic on this about the difficulties of taking a song from one format to another flashing back to to simon's point as well the national selection show for italy is the sanremo festival which is actually the original inspiration for the Eurovision Song Contest that uh, the San Remo Music Festival has been running in Italy longer than Eurovision. And so that in itself is quite a big show in Italy, a bit like Melodifestivalen in Sweden. It's a massive show. So most people know and appreciate that Francesca Gabbani was targeting San Remo with his song. He wasn't particularly targeting Eurovision. But yeah, it, it just doesn't translate, does it? My personal feeling is it's the music. I think it's that the lack of the orchestra. I think the namaste, ole, with the orchestra shouting it out is so much more impactful than the, uh, the audience shouting it or the backing singers shouting it. It also loses about 30 seconds of the song because they're allowed to run a little bit longer in San Remo than at Eurovision. I think the structure of the song loses a certain flow with that 30 seconds. So, yeah, there's a lot of small moments back to Azerbaijan, small little minute moments that all add together to mean that it just doesn't work in the same way, does it?
2: The thing I remember about this from 2017 was that there was a bit of talk about the story behind the song and, and how it's about sort of conformity and stuff like that being a bad thing. But I think there's an inherent hypocrisy there because also in the song, they've got this, dance that they do which is I mean frankly shit and and it's like everyone get involved in this and it's it, it's a bit like the bit in life of Brian where you know he's saying yes we're all individuals and the people sort of echo it back to him if that was the point then
0: it's incredibly clever but I actually thought I genuinely genuinely think that is the point I mean this song is ultimately very clever the lyrics are about a, a western culture and a selfie addiction internet know-it-alls etc and how that we can learn from eastern culture and and karma buddhism that sort of thing it's an incredibly clever song lyrically almost as clever as vada hada <laughs> but, yeah so i suspect the dance is certainly a metaphor i know that the monkey is doing a much more complicated complex dance and all the humans are there doing a simple arm waving one an arm waving dance that looks like monkeys
4: whereas the actual monkey is expressing himself freely I like that it's got a dance you can join in with. I like his suit. I like the funky backdrop. And I like the
0: message. So this song did make it to number one in Italy. But does it make it to your number one this evening? Does it get anyone's douze points?
2: Bill, I'd like to completely go out on a limb here. And I'd like to do something that's never been done in the long positive history of the podcast. Uh, I'd like to simultaneously award this song my douze and my nil points. Um, because I think it is such a fantastic song and I do I do really love it, but on the night it is just so terrible. I, I remember knowing it was such a huge favourite and watching it and thinking, oh, is that it?
4: I'm gonna give it my Ilande douze pois. I mean it has the advantage of I did see the other version with the string section. They should have string sections in
0: Eurovision, because it's much more entertaining. Mini Meyer. Just you wait two weeks, two weeks. Bear with me. I will get to you and that thought.
1: Prediction time. Where are we placing it? Dan, predictions? I think this easily could have come sixth. I think it did lose a lot from the national final, but it's still a good, catchy song. Uh, I think it did pretty well. Uh, yeah, Alex?
3: Sixth. Clearly a, it's clearly a very popular anthem in the arena. Um, and despite some of our criticisms, I think it's still the, the strongest performance of the the five songs we're looking at this evening.
0: Now... Hold your breath, boys. Hold your breath, listeners. I didn't think we'd see the day, but here we are. I've selected a UK act to be listened to on Eurovision in isolation. Do not hold your breath for too long because I don't think we're going to be coming back anytime soon. But here we are. This is Lucy Jones with Never Give Up On You. <laughs> Lucy, so i shall hand over to minnie
4: um, i'll just explain what you're seeing here in case you're not watching along a woman dressed as a trophy she's never going to get sings an off 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 broadway show tune while what looks like the sun shines out of what looks like her ass <laughs> uh,
0: yes so in in less offensive language she's wearing all gold there are a lot of gold sparkles around her And she is a West End performer. So, yes, that does make a lot of sense. Any other thoughts, Minnie? Well, you can probably
4: tell from that description I was not a fan. I found it insipid, warbling. And at one point she points finger guns at the camera and I willed her to shoot me.
0: Finger guns. (laughs) Uh, This song was actually written by a couple of Eurovision legends. Emily DeForest won in 2013 with Only Teardrops. She wrote this song and uh, Danny Salcedo from Sweden won't be a name that you know, because he's never been to the Eurovision stage, but he has uh, participated many times in Swedish Melody and often with upbeat dance tracks. I may introduce you to him further down the line. He is quite an interesting performer. So some Eurovision legends wrote this song. This just isn't frankly that
2: great of a song. It sort of sounds like a Disney song. And it's a complete copy of Australia's entry from 2016, where they've sort of got a lone woman singing powerfully with a sparkly sort of staging. Sure, it, it does all right with the juries because, the, you know, it's it's a, a musically well done song and it's probably, you know, maybe the fifth best song on the night or something. But people aren't phoning in for their fifth best song. They're,
0: they're phoning in for their favourites and it just doesn't do well in that regard. It is quite Broadway, but she's quite Broadway. She's, all, she's a West End performer. We went through a little phase here where we discovered that we'd been sending people with no stage experience and they couldn't sell the song. So we started sending theatre performers because at least they could act like they knew what they were doing. I think it's... It, it, I've certainly heard worse tactics from the UK. Electro Velvet, here's
3: looking at you. It's very impressive that they've used the entirety of the backdrop in the, the arena to have this kind of starry light show. It's just, again, another very middling song where she misses a few key changes and it ruins it. She's, she's out there on, on her own. And when you're on your own singing a kind of pop number or dance number, it kind of works because you can dance. When you're out there on your own singing a powerful ballad, you've really got to nail it because you're, you're not going to redeem yourself by having a cool dance move or, you know, you, she's not going to be joined by a dancing gorilla in this particular number you know you she's out there alone and she has to nail it and i don't think she does at, at any point you think the vocals are the the issue on this song i think again that the vocals are, are sort of a six out of ten i don't think she quite finds second top gear let alone top gear and again you know she lets herself down it's a big powerful number that's you know points removed for doing finger guns you know the fonds at the camera Eey. you know there's, there's there's no need in amongst all of this we are talking about a uk entry and if memory serves this was one of the better uk entries of the last 10 years mm. which is which is crazy to think you know how much dross we've put up
2: i disagree that it's badly sung i think i think it's really well sung i think she's clearly a good singer and she does i think a good job but i do i do think it's not the kind of song that is doing particularly well at eurovision at this point i think it's so i follow the swiss entries a bit so swiss, switzerland had a song called apollo this year mm. which is Uh, possibly by an even better singer but that went out in the semi-finals just because this kind of thing isn't popular i think it it kind of speaks to the the uk you know almost scarred by the 2003 nilpoir we're putting out a serious entry because we're we're a serious country doing a serious song and it's not going to come bottom and we're not going to get nilpois. and you submit songs like this that's ultimately nobody's favorite and you end up getting beaten by a woman groping a horse
1: (laughs) dan any thoughts I, I agree with Simon and disagree with Alex and that the quality of the, the vocals is actually very high I think it's I think it's very well sung song but it's just not at all Eurovision I, it, did, did we even try Will we, did we want to win because uh, this isn't how you win Eurovision not with, not with this kind of this kind of act it's just good on the vocals and it's got nothing else going on I have to say the reason that I've picked this song and it's the
0: only UK song that I'm planning on showing to you at any stage is the UK has had a number of issues i think i think we can all see that from the results this is the only song where i feel that the uk was considerably underscored by the rest of europe most of the time i'll be honest i agree with europe's prognosis on us i think this was really quite strong i think this could have placed in the top 5 top 10 quite comfortably What sets this above the other UK entries is the staging. I think the staging is actually incredible. The mirrors and the gold, I think it's really effective when they go for the key change and the stars go into reverse and then explode out. I think that's really powerful. I think it really, really works. We're talking all night. Tonight's theme is those little minor errors. And I think there are some minor errors here from the UK. Not major. I don't agree with Alex. I think the singing is excellent. I do agree the finger guns and general facial distortions from Lucy Jones do not help the performance. I think she needs to maybe sell the story better than she does with facial contortions and sparklers at the back. In that star moment, they didn't have the sparklers in rehearsals. And I think it worked better. I think it's it's more effective, simpler without the pyrotechnics and and just little tiny things like that. I think the UK was so close to nailing it this year. Any he do's pois in the room. Nil points in the room. Yes.
4: I wish she had been joined by a gorilla. Not a guy in a gorilla costume. I wish she had been joined by an actual gorilla and he had ripped her finger guns from her arms.
3: I'll, I'll give it Nil points as well. I think some of the other songs we listen to are slightly better and have slightly more going for them. In Azerbaijan's case, it has artistic merit. Uh, and in... Macedonia's case, it's its kind of a party tune, I guess, which I quite like. This is a tale and a song of, of missed opportunities, and for that, uh, and a tale of ill-advised use of the finger guns, I think it's my nil 6th, 8th, 14th, 15th, where do we think the UK came?
2: 16th, I think.
0: Well, that wasn't an option, so um, oh. bold pull from Simon. <laughs> Whatever the worst one was. 15th. I mean, 15th, if indeed it did finish in 15th, I think that would represent the best performance for the UK at Eurovision for quite some time.
1: So our worst option there was the best finish the UK has had in a long time?
0: Yeah, our worst option is, is still the best finish we've had since 2011 and Blue, who finished 11th. Since the turn of the millennium, we've only had two songs finish in the top 10. do Don't have to try it because we don't have to qualify. Yeah, I mean it's it's a point, and um, we don't win fans by performing at the semi-finals either, and we don't try because we don't need to try. There's just so many issues, and it, I promise you so much. It does not come down to our foreign policy uh, approaches, which moves us nicely, neatly, and sweetly onto our fifth song of the evening and Hungary's uh, crazy oppressive regime, but their song with Yoki Papai and Arrigo. That is the world-famous Yoki Papai. So I will uh, hand directly over to the
3: chairman of the UK Yoki Papai Fan Society, Alex Smith. Thank you. Thank you very much. As you suggest, you know this is one of my favourite Eurovision songs of all time. When you have a song sung in its native language, it kind of has to be one of two things, I think, with a the, with the global audience that is Eurovision. It either has to be intensely catchy, or sung in such a convincing and intense way that you can't help but feel drawn in to the song and into the story. This song does both for me. When the song starts, you know, again, there's a guy here kind of on his own, and, you know, what's this? Not, don't really quite understand what he's singing. And then he kind of launches into this really intense ballady number. I think it's intensely believable, this sort of love story between him and the woman that shares the stage with him and you know later in the song they dance and that's quite again an intense and powerful and romantic moment it's slightly ruined unfortunately by the fact that he breaks off into a little rap for about (laughs) 20 seconds they could have done without that okay it adds another layer and another another type of singing to the song but I, i don't think it needed to do that i think it was already a very strong song it's very traditional i know that jockey papai has romani Uh, heritage and i think it's quite a traditional song and i think that kind of background and his heritage comes through a little bit and you know kind of what he was wearing and i guess the style of the singing and the style of the dancing i i really really like this song i'm completely taken by i got no idea what he's saying he could be singing you know i really hate you why are you still buzzing around no i don't want to dance with you i've got no idea what he's singing but I'm completely taken in by it. I'm completely taken in by the intensity of it. I'm completely taken in by the romance of it. I love it and it's one of my favourite ever Eurovision songs. I'm ignoring the fact that at one point during the performance he kind of pats on a milk can. A disco uh, milk can. A disco milk can like a bongo. I'm ignoring that because I've not quite interpreted what that means.
4: I don't generally like the Eurovision trope of just having a woman dancing around while a man stands there singing in this case like Alex says it's so kind of earnest I, I guess I forgive it.
2: There's one thing I want to say about Yoki Papai which is that he's got a very small mouth and a very thick neck and that combined <laughs> combined with the top knot it makes him look quite pointy.
0: <laughs> We've come to the final song of the evening so there's a couple of a couple of gaps on our scoreboard for deuce pois no nil pois blanks
1: so Dan, this song must be your Pois. Oh, that is correct, yeah. Uh, I really like this song. For me, when I'm looking for my perfect Eurovision song, there are kind of three criteria, and this one absolutely nails at least two of them. So, the first one is, is national identity. It's got to have something that is really kind of culturally unique about it, and has got that in droves it's 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 wonderful the second is that it's got to be catchy in multiple languages and i think as alex is going to demonstrate for us in a few minutes time you can sing it in whatever language you like you don't need to know the words it's fine it's it's a very it's very easy to to understand you'll be singing it in the shower for weeks the only one that doesn't quite nail for me is the the stage performance it's not very memorable what's going on on the stage at one point i think there's fire is that right There's, there's a ring of fire or something and the woman running it running around like, like as minnie said earlier it's doesn't really add anything to it but two of the three criteria absolutely nailed for me this is douze point and possibly the best song we've heard so far on the podcast
3: dan one of your criteria we, we ought to we ought to think about that more moving forward is, is the national identity piece
1: I, for I, me I, at I, least it's it's very significant and it is quite often missed i think by a lot of acts you know like i, I, I speak about azerbaijan earlier there was Nothing there really for that they did to try and make themselves, you know, their, their culture. It didn't. It didn't come through at all.
0: Hey, I don't know Azerbaijani culture. They may really look up to horses.
3: I always associated
0: horses more with Iceland. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Phil, this um, also gets my douce points. Um,
0: unsurprising, but unsurprisingly.
3: this to me is is what Eurovision should should be all about. I think really really impressive song and really pleased to give it my my douce poi today. And predictions—we've been fairly unanimous on the predictions thus
0: far. So I think the only one that's left is—is is eighth place. Do we think this is the second best performing song uh, tonight?
1: Definitely. Yeah.
0: Okay, strong. That was that was unanimous. Totting up the scores, it's it's a bit of a tie because we've had two countries that got two sets of douze points, but I think Hungary will have to be our favourite as Italy also scored a nil point from Simon but that does still come in second place. Somehow Macedonia slips into third as Azerbaijan had one poa from Dan and the UK had two nil poa, and in a position that it will find itself intimately familiar with, the UK has come last with us tonight. However, predictions were a different kettle of fish. I won't keep you in suspense for too long on the results because its recent history You guys have absolutely nailed the predictions for tonight. I don't think you put a foot wrong. Macedonia didn't qualify for the final. The UK came last out of the ones we've listened to. 25th, Azerbaijan was placed higher on 14th. Hungary did come eighth. And Italy, despite being the pre-tournament favourites, came in a slightly disappointing sixth place, but was the top performing song out of the five we've listened to tonight. So whilst Italy... One out of these five songs, the song that did win on the night, as we mentioned a couple of times, was Salvador Sobral for Portugal, registering their first ever win in 49 attempts at Eurovision. So next year we will be off to Lisbon in Portugal, but not on this podcast. No, next week we are travelling back in time. We're travelling 11 years back in time to Athens in Greece and Eurovision 2006. I have picked out an absolute belting set of songs for you. We have songs from Belgium, Iceland, Croatia, Russia, Lithuania. It is going to blow your socks off.
3: La 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 lama.
0: Am I okay to talk about Hungary's oppressive regime? What are they gonna do? Put us under house arrest.